Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We're starting off with show notes and I think I've got them down pat in my head. I'm going to hope I do because the note's behind my head. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Wait, we're... I can remote view it. <laughs> this is unique. Uh, so we are advertising that we have an evening with mediums coming up uh, in December, which is actually already sold out. So thank you to everyone who's bought tickets. And we are already on sale for 2018 with our three dates in April, August, and December. Mm-hmm. So you can head over to buysarlo.com to purchase tickets. Um, and you do get a deal if you're purchasing multiples. Yeah, $5 off for an evening. Um, Sips of Sanity, we have a second podcast series that you can access on the website as well while you're there uh, by sarlo.com. And those are 10 minute shows. We do five of them Monday to Friday at the beginning of each month. There is an archive on the site as well. So if you want to go back and listen to some other ones, you can do that. And we also like to inform people or remind you, however you want to to put that, that we offer personal sessions one-on-one in our home. That's where we have our practice set up, uh, as well as group sessions. And we should mention distance. So you can book your session through Skype, FaceTime, or telephone if you can't or choose not to make it here. I want to point out that the most commonly asked question when someone's booking FaceTime or Skype or telephone is, does it make any difference to the quality of a session? The answer is no. Only These, depending on your internet connection. Ah, that's fair. That's it. It's just a human issue. Yes, it's technology. It has nothing to do with whether Kelly and I get more active or different types of information or less or more accurate. It makes no difference to us. And actually, I don't know why people think that it makes any difference. Well, I think because media shows people that, um, you know, people with similar gifts have to touch Oh, to true. touch articles and there I mean there's commonly you know misconstrued ideas of, of how this works and I guess maybe you're right for some people it would matter they wouldn't be able to do yeah. long distance if they have to touch something they wouldn't be able to do it yeah okay. that's okay everyone that's develops their gifts in their own way mm-hmm. um, okay so those are show notes and today we're launching into oh Kelly can we add one more show note it's our show it's MailChimp People can go to the website and click on a subscribe for the podcast shows so that they can get emails and updates so that you can automatically stay connected to Kelly and I, should you so choose to hang out with us, um, where it just pops into your, uh, what do you call that, your social media, um, whenever something is being released by us, if they'd like that. And then they can also unsubscribe. If we get too obnoxious. <laughs> Yes. If we refer to Patricia Evans too much. <laughs> there we go. She got mentioned in show notes today. It was like record. Okay. So today we're talking about uh, bullying. You brought up some really uh, interesting points from a session that you've just, just done. And I will probably contribute with one I've done yesterday. Okay. Uh, so do you want to start? I do. It, it was a, a Monday, uh, the beginning of the last week, not just this prior one. And I called it Mother's Day because it was 13 clients in a day and all of the issues were about moms. Of all of the moms that came in that day, either alive or dead, as in the medium portion of treatments, a mom who's alive stood out for me. So she came in with with a group of people actually, and that were all sitting in the living room waiting for each other as one person would go in for their session and come out. But when they first arrived, 
she bullied the people in the room uh, in regards to Parker. She um, insisted that I let Parker out, even though I was trying to go through a process of asking each of the women if they were comfortable. So when, when someone comes to the house and they uh, demand that they see Parker, I'd like to ask everyone in the room if they're comfortable with a dog, because if they're not, he stays down in the office with the door closed. If someone comes in and demands to see Parker, I tell them they're in, that he's in his crate. Mm-hmm. No one demands his presence. Yeah. And she, and she kept talking over me. She kept talking over the other women in the room. And I was taking my time to ask each of the women if they were comfortable with a dog, explaining that he's a large-sized dog. And she just kept talking over them. Go get him. Bring him up. And she just wasn't listening to me. And she was trying to control me. She was trying to say what I was doing was not going to be okay with her. It didn't matter what the other women in the the room wanted. It didn't matter what Parker wanted. She needed to have her own needs met. So I'm going to call her Isabel. And I took my time. I still went through all of the women. I got to the fourth of the five women in the in the waiting area. And the fifth person was, I'd say she's about 84, 85 years old. And when I asked her if she was comfortable with a dog, she said no, she was afraid. And Isabel knew that. Good for the woman for saying so. Yeah, but Isabel knew. Yeah. She knew she was afraid and she didn't want me to know. She just wanted me to bring Parker up and make her friend uncomfortable, afraid, so that she could have more control because somebody's fear level was escalating. Right. Okay. So I said to the the elderly lady, we'll call her Bev. I said, Bev, um, would you like to ask any questions about Parker? And she said, well, yes, what the size of a dog. So I told her and, and I said, he does get up on the couch. So if you don't want him up on the couch and or if he got up on it, it might make you nervous. So I'll leave him in the basement. And she said, well, let me ask you more questions. Is he friendly? Does he bark? And I said, he's very friendly. He's a therapy dog. Yes, he barks. Does he bite? Never. Um, Is he a puppy? Yes, he's two and a half years. So we engaged in a bit of a conversation all the time. Isabel is still talking over the two of us and insisting Parker still come up. So eventually, Bev said to me, I think I'd like to try. And I said, okay. I will bring Parker up, I will get him into a sit stay, and then a down stay. And I said, I will put him there. And you can release him by saying come when you're ready. And she was like, really? I told her yes, that I'd put him into the stay position. And she could release him. So I brought Parker up the stairs. And he went into a sit stay and then a down stay. And she just watched him. And then she released him. She said, come, Parker. And he went right over to her first. It was so sweet. Good. And he stayed, put his nose on her lap. He did not get up onto the couch. He just put his nose on her so she could pat him. But he barked. And then she was okay with that. And then he moved around the room. He went to each of the women and he left. He went downstairs. And I said to the group of women, when Parker leaves the room, do not go get him. If he chooses not to be in this room with you, it means he's done his job. He's done his therapy work. He's going downstairs to rest. And that's his choice. So then I left and went into the treatment room and I did these treatments. I, I did find it interesting. I would never even think to wander in someone's home. 
Oh, people have wandered in our home. You I'm know aware that. of that. I'm just saying people I, took take, took pictures in our home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being a good grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Yeah. Anyway, so I went in and I was doing the treatments and it was, oh, I had such a great day with these, these women. It was fantastic. And um, eventually Isabel came in. She was the second last person to come in. So she was the fourth treatment out of five. So three hours later, the first three women came in. She came in and sat down and I went through consent and she was very, very good and can, you know, set her consent and her boundaries and stuff. And she said, go open, Karen. She said she was open to whatever the spirit world was going to bring through and that she just was here to listen today. So I said to her, well, I said, I'm getting that you actually have a husband that's passed. He says it's a recent passing in the last couple of months and that you actually would like to talk to him. It's you do have a specific thing that you want. You're just testing me. And she went, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, is that correct then that he's that it's your husband? Is this accurate? I said, I do get parents that have passed as well. But I said, it's him that you actually want to connect to and you have a problem to solve. And she goes, yeah. So I said, okay, that's fine, Isabel. Let's, let's, let's see what he has to say about your problem then. I said, do you want to tell me anything about the problem or, or ask a question? Nope. I said, okay. So I listened to her husband and I think I'm just going to call him Joe or Jim. I don't know. I get stuck with always picking these names. But anyway, so he came in and said to me, since I passed away, our two adult sons no longer speak to or see or communicate in any way with their mother. What she's asking of you today is what to do about it. She's lost. And I just kind of sat back and I thought, holy crumb. Okay, so I said to her, your husband's coming through saying, this, I repeated it. And she said, that's right. That's why I'm here, Karen. She said, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, so are you asking the question, what to do? Is that what you actually want to know what you can do? And she said, yes, I want to know what I can do. I really like that. I like the fact that she was willing enough to come and ask what she could do not say what what are they thinking what are they doing because some clients come in and ask those questions they don't say what can I do so I I really I loved the energy between her and I even though in the waiting room her energy was very spiky is that a good word for it sure when someone's caustic and confrontational and challenging it's spiky energy eh? You don't feel good around them. But in the treatment room, it was like, it didn't feel like that at all. So I said to her husband, can you explain some of it to me? And he said, yeah, I'll show it to you like a movie. And I thought, oh, okay. So I turned to Isabel and I said, I need a moment because he's going to show me the problem. And I said, um, so I'll describe that first. And she goes, okay. So I watched, I just tilted my head out the window to look into the backyard but you know I don't see the backyard I, I see her life and it was really heartbreaking he he showed me where this woman this mom Isabel at every opportunity took chances where she could have turned something into a love or into connecting and she did the exact opposite and she took it and moved it into conflict 
She lied. She manipulated them. She was condescending, critical. It went to manipulating the boys against each other. So she might tell one of her sons something about the other son that was a lie so that they would just stop talking to each other or that and the other son wouldn't understand why his brother just was disappearing, just wouldn't speak to him for a while. He, di- he didn't understand that something had been said. Like th- there were so many of these moments and she did it to her two daughters-in-law and she did it to the grandchildren and she did it to the husband. So she, she purposefully emotionally blackmailed her, her children and her husband. She purposely set them up to fight amongst each other, to compete against each other. So she would tell the daughters-in-law both to bring a pumpkin pie to dinner, knowing they were both going to show up at the same dessert, and then who's going to eat whose pie, and who was going to compliment whose pie, and who was going to feel like they got shamed they didn't have a better pie. She knew exactly what she was doing. He showed that all of these things were done with pure intention to be full of malice. And that each time that she did it, she just kept building and building and building. So if she got confronted, if if some of them found out what she was doing, she would continue to lie right to their face. And the husband said he knew. And so if the kids or the in-laws, I'm going to call them the kids, meaning the daughters-in-law, because it's a family. Mm-hmm. So it's two daughters and two sons. So I just want that to be clear that this is family. So when his daughters, in this instance, came up to him and would say, why would she ask us both to bring a pie? Like, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me? He would lie. He would say, I don't know, or I don't understand, or, I, you know, she meant well. He covered for her. So one of the first things he did was to show me the truth of what he did and what she did. And then he, sh- he came through and apologized to her for not having stepped up and been a partner. Never holding her accountable. Colluding her reality to think that she could get away with all of this collusion. Being part of the abuse to the children and to the grandchildren that he was equally an abuser, even though he didn't think it when he was on earth. Because his silence was his abuse. His collusion was his abuse. His withholding or neglecting or avoiding or withholding was his abuse. And that he didn't understand any of that. He thought if he just kept clean and went and shoveled the driveway or cleared the table and it cleared his throat, put the dishes away when he knew exactly what was happening, but just, you know, moved off a little bit, said something nice at the end of the day. It was a really nice pumpkin pie, sweetheart, that he wasn't part of it. (laughs) When you stay silent to an oppressor, you've picked a side. Yeah. There is no Switzerland in this situation. Oh, Kelly, I love it. Oh, I just love with how you said that. Because quite often, if they think they're Switzerland, as you're saying, or they think that they're not part of it, they're just saying better you than me. Yeah. 
they ju- he just believed that if she had all the focus on destroying the boys and the daughters and the grandkids, that he'd be left alone. Yeah, he for a, a free little, dinner hour. Yeah, he'd, he, he could be quiet and he wouldn't be under her gun. That machine gun was always being pointed in somebody's direction. It was just like, well, so long as it's not me under the gun that isn't being fired at, then I'm okay in some way then she's being nice to me. Maybe I can enjoy the rest of my evening or the next 20 minutes. Because let's face it, you don't know with those type of people if you've got 20 minutes or an evening or a week. <laughs> this is neat. Cause I, and I'm excited to share mine, but I don't want to interrupt you. Okay. Well, thank you. So he talked to her about confronting her about her behavior. And he told her that what he saw deep within her was a constant state of fear and anxiety to keep all of the lies going, to keep all of the mistreatments going, that she never felt worthy enough of being loved by these people. But if I'm in control, then you need me. Right. And that looks something like love. And he, he colluded that. This is mom. If you want access to your mom or if you want access to dad, because this is where it went. If you want access to your parents, you have to tolerate the abuse. And what happened was he then showed me that he got sick and he told me it was cancer. He told me it was his liver and then pancreas. And she confirmed all of that. All the anger organs. I know. Yeah. And she said that was all correct. And I said that, or what he had said to me was he got very sick. And when he got very sick, that's when she really amped her abuse up because her boys and daughters and grandchildren really wanted access to grandpa now because he's dying. He's terminal and they all know. They all know it's about a year to a year and a half. So during this period of time, she was able to just unleash her abuse rampantly, viciously, destroying everything. But she became nicer to him. So in order for the boys to come in and the daughters and the kids and the grandkids to see grandpa, they had to tolerate everything she was dishing out to all of them. And it changed. Sometimes she was nice. This wasn't a totally, totally always vicious grandma. Sometimes she could be nice to a grandkid. Well, yeah, because that throws you off. Yeah. Then you feel guilty for not liking her. Yeah. Or you think, you know, well, if she's fighting with the other one over there and she's being mean to my uncle and she's not being mean to my dad, then I'm not going to say anything because, well, it's not, it's not my business. It's my uncle that she's picking Again, it's on. it's pointed in a different direction. Yeah. And then once she really honed it in on one son, the other son and his wife really and, and family were relieved because it was all off of them. So they could go over and have nice visits, but never stood up to her or the grandfather for any of the behavior yeah. ever on earth. So she, he passed away and they went to the funeral. And as soon as the funeral was over at the cemetery, the boys got in their cars with their wives and their children. And that was the last time she ever heard or saw from any of them. That was it. Because what the boys had done was they had gotten together and had a a talk over the behaviors. And the son who had the gun pointed at him, let's call him Mark. So Mark said to his brother, Ron, we'll call him Ron, said to his brother, 
I'm under the gun. I'm the one being picked on. But not so long ago, it was you. And the only reason that you're okay with it now is because it's not your turn, but you know it's going to be your turn again. So we have to decide as brothers what we're going to do. Our only strength in ending this is going to come if we're a team. Otherwise, mom will win forever. And so it was on, on Ron, because now, of course, he's, he's, he's okay. He's got a good mom version, right? So this is the happy boy saying, but mommy loves me and I'm okay. I have more to lose than you. Mommy's not being nice to you. You have less to lose. But he sat there and manned up. He sat there and said to his brother, no, you're right. It just goes back and forth or it goes to our wives. It Human, goes, humaned up. Hu- oh, humaned up, manned up, womaned up, whatever you want to call it. We can call it humaned up. That's fine, Kelly. I understand what you're saying. I mean, adulting. <laughs> okay, there you go. I just mean that he's adulting and that he's no longer playing the child role for his mom anymore and his dad, even the spirit of his dad. So they went back and decided to have an evening with their wives to talk it over, got all on the same page, told the children they were done with grandma, that they each had another grandma, and that they would be seeing their other grandmas and grandpas, but that they were now going to grieve their grandma because they weren't going back. And as adults, if the kids wanted to go back to see her, that would be fine. Because at that time, they'd have tools, they'd have the tools, they'd have counseling. So they did say to their wives and to their children, grandchildren, uh, the grandchildren in this family, that they were going to go into therapy together. Hmm. They were each going to go as individuals, but they were going to go as brothers. They were going to go as sisters-in-law. They were going to go as two couples. They were going to go with the grandkids. That's a lot of responsibility. Oh my God. I've got goosebumps all over. It's really nice. So he told her that he said, tell my wife what her boys and daughters and grandchildren are doing without her. Without her. Jeez, would you look at that? They grew up. No glue necessary. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And I, I want to say that intentionally because so many people think, oh, well, this is the woman that keeps the glue. Like She's the glue of the family. The matriarch. Nope. Not necessary. When the rest of you, like you say, go ahead and adult. They adulted. And so she got to hear it because she had no idea that they had all these conversations amongst each other. And so much intelligence. Yeah. That they actually, imagine thinking in her head over all these decades that they were never going to figure this out. Well, there's the narcissism. Yeah. And that's where she was confronted. And you know what? I have to say something. Isabel sat there and listened to every single word and never once interrupted me. Good for her. She sat there and said, okay, it's good to hear that they got counseling, Karen. I I nearly fell out of my chair as a human. And she sat there and said, oh, is it ever good to hear that my boys love each other? As a mom, am I ever happy to hear they love each other? And I said, really, Isabel? Because you did everything you could to make sure they couldn't love each other. Yes, but it's been two months and I have had no husband and no family. I'm all alone. I've had time to think. And I said, Isabel, you're not even nice to your friends. Do you know that? And she went, yeah. And I said, okay, let's continue. So then her husband apologized for his part. So I wanted to be really be specific in this talk today 
that he owned up as a dead man, a dead husband, to say, I wasn't a good partner. I I was not a good husband. I never held you accountable for your lies. I never held you accountable for your fears. I never held you still for a moment and said, honey, it's okay to be scared, but be honest. Honey, it's okay to be scared. There are boys. We'll get through it. We'll work together. He never once went to counseling to figure out his own shit in all of this. He never once adulted. So he came forward to apologize. That's good. And she accepted the apology. I remember her turning her head, looking out the window and looking back at me and saying, could you please tell him that I accept the apology? (laughs) What a moment, eh? So I said to her, do you realize that you're a narcissist? And she said, no, what is it? And I explained it to her. A narcissist is someone who can only think of their own needs. They put their own needs first, even if it's fear-based. And she said, thank you for telling me. Now, what do I do about being one? And how do I solve this? What do I do? And that, that's the whole next step of what I want to talk about. They told her first to just sit in the apology from her own husband and fill herself up so she would know what it would be like to be loved by a true partner this time and to take her time. She needed time to feel that. One of the other things they told her was to sit down And to just start journaling and writing things. Because she needed therapy. She needed somebody who was properly trained with narcissistic behavior at that level to be able to walk her through her own fears. So that as she met each of the fears, she'd have somebody to talk to about them. Because part of what she never learned to do in this life, when remember her husband's not really being a husband, right? was to talk to somebody about what she was scared of. She thought she had to manage it all. But because she didn't know how to manage it, she just kept getting angrier and angrier. And this is how it was coming out on everybody else. So they asked her to write, asked her to start journaling. They gave her authors and books and podcast shows. They told her just to start with a little bit of integrity in each day to slow down and to breathe, especially when she was afraid. They talked to her about the skills of being a better listener and just to start with listening. Eventually, they told her to write a letter to each person individually. And they said in the letter, because she asked, she said, what do I write in a letter? They told her to write letters to each person individually. And in each letter, she was to begin with her apology. That her letter would be, I did this. But she had to give specific examples of what she did to hurt them and how she manipulated them. She had to write in the letter what she was doing to get help and tell them what she was doing. The action. I am reading books. I am listening to podcast shows on verbal abuse. I am in therapy. I am writing down my feelings. I am talking. I am learning to be a better listener. I am sorry. So it was very I-based. 
so that they could hear the apology, the awareness, and the action. And then at the end of the letter, to leave an open invitation that if they chose to reach her, that she would wait for them to be ready. Nice. And she said, what? You mean I can't just, I can't just demand or ask them to come over? And I said, let's start from the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, I said, no. I said, this has to be all on their terms. This now is where you have to wear a better pair of panties or role of being mom. As a mom, you have to wait for your child to come to you when they're ready. That's the adulting of being a mother. Yeah. I they Put your tail between your legs and wait. Yeah, that's right. Just freaking love the letter structure they gave her. Mm-hmm. She literally sat there with a pen and paper and didn't say, Hey, Karen, could you pick up the pen and paper and jot the notes down? Many clients tell me that, eh? Yeah, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> I know you know. But they'll say, oh, could you write that down for me as you're channeling, as you're doing all of this energy healing? Could you write it? She did not. She caught herself and said, just give me a minute. I'm going to write this down. You provided pens and paper. Give me a moment, Karen. Could you repeat that, please? And I stopped. Yes, I can. There was so much kindness in her session from her spirit through me to her so much kindness from her husband after his apology to her so much ownership that even though he died and never fixed a piece of this he left her holding the whole bag Hmm. somebody might listen to that and go well good she deserves it yeah she does but that's not the way things go all the time that's right and that's where you don't have an entitled entitlement to any of it So she sat there ready to write her letters, ready to do her listening, ready to read her books. Some of those books are workbooks, so she's going to have to do some exercises that will help her write that letter more authentically. And But what we really got down to was the authenticity of all of her fears, the integrity that she was lacking in everything, and how empty, how sad, how angry, how depressed. She was, and we wanted, what, what I really liked, Kelly, was that the guides separated that sadness and grieving and anger from grieving a, de- a death of a husband. Yeah. I it's, really, it's different. yes, I just love that part because it, this is not something that can be medicated. This is really where therapy has to come in. Whether you reach out professionally to a person or you buy the books, or like I said, you listen to the podcasts or the audiobooks, however it is that you're going to do it, but you have to find the right people. Because by God, your girlfriends don't know. Your family doesn't know. They have to find the people that are properly educated and have a high level of education in emotional intelligence. And not every family therapist has it. Oh, God, no. You can have certificates with no emotional intelligence whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't understand that statement, then you probably understand uh, a doctor with no bedside manner. That's essentially what we're saying. You can have all the intelligence, but not know how to communicate with people. Yeah. Cool. I, at the very end, she thanked me. 
she got up, she went out. I had another client after her for another hour. So five clients in a row. Then we came to the door. I walked all of the ladies to the door and they were all going home. And I thanked them for coming and for traveling and being on the highway because I always like to thank people for traveling to come see me. And she was at the door. So there were the four other women between us and it's a small entranceway. And I, you know, said, I hope you enjoy your dinner and your drive home. And she moved her way, excused her way gently and slowly. Oh, I forgot to say something. The last thing the guide said to her was, now, Isabel, when you get in the car with that group of women, the first thing you need to do is to apologize. Don't even get, let it go to get out of the driveway. Before that car even gets turned on, you say you're sorry for talking over them, for not listening to them, for bullying them, for the incident with Parker in the living room and not listening to each of them individually and giving them their voice. You make sure that the very first thing you practice with is the ladies in the car. You're going to need the practice to say you're sorry a shit ton to your grandkids, your daughters, and your sons. Practice with the ladies in the car. They're ready and they'll give it to you. It's also, just generally speaking, it's harder to apologize for something the longer that time goes on because then we don't know how to bring it up. We think, if they're past it, why would I rehash it? There's there's so many reasons or excuses that we can find to keep the tail between our legs. And then we move into a place of changing personalities where we're just full of shame. And we do everything from a place of shame. And we can still be narcissistic and a bully from a place of shame. I'm pausing so people can listen to it. There's I This was, to me, was just such an extraordinary experience because she listened. She did not ever once interrupt. She asked emotionally intelligent questions and if she didn't know what to ask, she would simply sit there and look at me and say, I don't know what to ask you. Can you ask the spirit guides to help me? But not in the sense of, well, are you any good at what you do? You should know. That's not her intention. Her intention truly that day was I'm hurting this bad. All of the hurt of losing her husband, all of the hurt of losing every single member of her family. And I liken it to hearing that a plane went down and her whole family was on the plane. She literally has lost contact with every single person in her family. But that's what it took for her to face her own narcissism, her own fears because that's underneath every narcissist their little baggage of fears so back at the door she moved through the women and said excuse me stood in front of me looked me straight in the face and said Karen may I please hug you may I please and I said yes I'd love a hug Isabel and she hugged me and just sat in the hug and I remembered thinking oh This is like when I hugged you and Andrew when you were kids. Mm. You don't leave the hug. She needs to know that in that moment, I am nurturing her. I am her mom role for a moment. She found in the spirit world her mother through me and needed the physical hug. So I just held her in my arms and just kept hugging her until she stepped back and moved away from me. And then each of the women said goodbye and left. It's a good, productive day. That was one of about 13 mom stories. Remember at the end of that day? Oh, my. Oh yes, I know. 
God, I could hardly move my legs on the treadmill <laughs> at the gym. It was just, oh, and people are going to hear more and more of these podcasts of these mom stories because I have so many to share. I wish this podcast could go on and on um, today, but I'd love to hear your story now. Yeah. I Okay. Thank you. This particular woman sat down and she, I always like to say they sandbag because they don't tell you your, their intention mm-hmm. uh, until the last five minutes when you say, mm-hmm. I'm just checking to see if there are any last messages. So but we did have a really good productive session and I think there was an intention to be open to see what else came through. So what ended up happening was the first thing that came out was that she was a people pleaser, extreme except when she was at home. And I often tell people, don't say yes or no to affirm anything until I get the whole message out because it's going to sound contradictory. And that is one thing if you've ever watched retarded shows on TV about debunking psychics is that psychics give information that can't be wrong because they cover both both polars. Mm -hmm. And it's such a load of crap. But anyway... I said to her, don't affirm it until I get both pieces out because I want to be specific as to why both things are true. Mm -hmm. So she bullies everyone in her home, but she's people pleasing to everyone outside the home. And I said, if I lined up all the people that you knew and asked them Mm -hmm. to affirm something about you, none of them would have the same answer. And she said, yes, that's correct. And then we got into where it came from. So it ended up coming through that her mom was still alive, her father had passed, and that her mom was the bully in the home. She she was her mother, essentially. She's she's mirroring the exact same qualities, even though she's furious with her. And what her dad came through to say from the other side is, I'm extremely sorry because you attempted to find your voice and you have confronted your mother about her behaviors. And the mother bullied her husband. So when the daughter stood up and said, that's enough, you don't get to treat dad that way, he threw his daughter under the bus by saying, oh, it's okay. Mm. So she learned that her voice wasn't even worth being heard. Mm -hmm. She learned to not trust the way she used it. Mm -hmm. So she stays quiet. And I said, it's interesting because you are both turned off and attracted to the color blue. I said, but it had to be the exact color or the, pardon me, the exact shade where you feel comfort and just a slight hue that's different. It sends you into an all out rage. And that, as you know, has everything to do with the chakra with the voice. Mm -hmm. And he apologized to her that he had thrown her under the bus when she was trying to learn her biggest lessons on how to adult Mm. because he couldn't do it for himself. He was afraid of the backlash that was going to happen when she left the home because she's an adult, that again, that cannon would be launched even harder at him. Mm-hmm. And there'd be no one there to back him up at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. I've been through that. Yeah. And he just said, I, he said he had no tools for his own self. Mm-hmm. He had no desire to get out. And he said, she's very angry with me, but she she won't admit it to you because she thinks that if you're angry at someone, it means you don't love them. And he was in her eyes, the kicked puppy. And you can't admit that you want to kick a puppy that's already been kicked. And so he said, it's okay that she's mad at me. I understand she loves me, but that she's furious. But she keeps placing all of the fury on her mother. It's very confusing. And that's the whole thing about adulting, is that we have to pull all those strings apart to see them clearly. And without emotional intelligence or good counseling, we don't do it. 
And then if we sit down at a coffee or drinks on a Friday night with a bunch of friends and we try to explain that and they haven't worked through their own process, they can shame us. Or they can be silent and hand us another drink. Yeah. And it's basically saying, suck it up. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. Or, uh, oh, that happened to me too. And, and as you say, again, in another way, shame you. So it's very, very important who we share these stories with. That's why it's so important to me that when somebody is going through this process of healing, that they find, as you say, um, the right people. That's why the right therapist is important, not just any therapist, the right person, somebody that's not going to shame you, somebody that actually gives you the tools and to stay focused on what are my tools. Yeah, I I enjoyed her session because a lot of those things are very unflattering characteristics to admit about her own self. Mm-hmm. And I kept checking in with her as we always do in the consent by saying, you know, are we meeting your needs? Is there anything else that you want to cover? And she would say, nope, this is what I need. <laughs> and and she said, even though she didn't know when she walked in that this is what she needs. These are my favorite clients, Kelly. My favorite clients are the people that are authentic in booking appointments with us to get answers, to heal, or just to know the truth versus the ones that are coming to test us to see yep. if we're the ones that are any good. I remember her standing in the doorway of the treatment room so not not quite down the stairs and she said so if I'm my mom what does that mean for my daughter yeah so well that's what you need to figure out yeah because you you're seeing the pattern that the very thing that you didn't want to become the thing that you focused all your energy on is what you became yeah it's and sometimes when we keep all of that focus on we don't want to be that we don't see how we contribute to it yeah from the time we were children that's where we have to go back and learn how that began. The yeah. dissection of that is, is critical, which is why I think both therapy and these sessions are so good for people because sometimes in therapy, you can't retrieve the memory of it. And in the sessions with you and I, we retrieve the memory for the client. Yeah. It, it's, it's very important because their soul will give it to us um, or a deceased person through medium will give it to us. Mm-hmm. The spirit world handles it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. And I'm, I appreciate you sharing it today. Also, thanks for being an adult mother. You're welcome. It, it takes a lot of work within the self. And I don't mean work in the sense of I'm always exhausted over it. I retrieve my energy when I'm doing it. Yeah. I feel more and more energized. And if anybody has seen me personally over the last seven to 10 years, I look younger. I feel younger. I behave younger. And it it has to do with what we want in life. But a lot of people talk the talk and don't do the work. No, and and like you're saying, your energy illustrates that. Your energy illustrates the kinds of choices that you make. Mm, Thank you. Mm-hmm. I just just had a conversation with someone that I I met, and uh, he knows I'm approaching thirty. And we were, chat- were chatting about you, and I said, "Yeah, I want to be her when I grow up." And he just chuckled because he's like, "But you're a grown up." Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I still want to be her when I grow up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's worth doing. 
yeah, to whomever or whatever I mother. Mm-hmm. It's And I say it's worth doing from, from my perspective too, Kelly, because then I do get to see that my two birth children, biological children, because I know I have many other children. <laughs> Who's listening right now, doing her paperwork, <laughs> that I, that wondering. <laughs> many, many of all different ages. Yeah. It's worth doing because I get to be, as my friend Lisa said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said to me, I'm so proud of how you have adulted and how you have grown into being a woman so that you are now a healthy adult female in our society contributing to everyone's health, not just other women, men, boys. Yeah. Good. Anyway, thank you very much, Kelly. Yeah. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at com. Otherwise, we hope you have a wonderful weekend.